welcome to the Gig Harbor Flycast, and this is Blake, and today we are going over how to get into fly fishing. So if you are brand new to fly fishing, uh, we really want to help you uh, dive into this, uh, this sport, this hobby, uh, this passion of ours. And so uh, we're going to go over some basic stuff uh, about what fly fishing is, how to get started. Uh, we're going to talk about how it differs from conventional tackle fishing. Um, we'll also talk about essential gear and I'll go over what basic skills you need to learn to be uh, a proficient angler. Uh, at the end, I'll mention some resources to check out and uh, we'll put some links in the show notes as well. I remember when I first started to fly fish, uh, I was probably a freshman in high school, uh, somewhere about there. It's been a couple decades now, um, but I got a I got a fly rod for my birthday. I had already been fishing conventional tackle and was uh, I was quite proficient um, with it. But but I saw fly fishing on TV, and um, and it just was intriguing. It looked so different from what I was used to, and it looked really fun and and but challenging too. My family liked to fish. Um, we only did it occasionally. It wasn't like um, we weren't a fishing family. It, it, it was more like what we did when we went camping as, as something to do. Um, but, uh, but we did do some fishing. And so um, there I was as a, uh, a youth with a new fly rod in hand. And, uh, not, and I didn't have anyone to show me how to do it. My, my family just fished conventional tackles, spinning rods and stuff like that. And, um, and I didn't have, I didn't have any friends that fly fished or really didn't really know anyone else. So, um, I didn't have any resources at hand. Um, this was pre YouTube or podcasts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there was all sorts of books out there, but, um, but I didn't, um, you know, I didn't go to the library or, or try to, um, try to find one of those at a store. Um, and so I just tried to figure out fly fishing on my own. Uh, and at times, honestly, it was pretty frustrating. Uh, I remember tying the fly line in all sorts of knots and tangles, just trying to cast, just trying to figure out how to get it out there. Um, I remember, I remember hooking trees in front of me. Uh, I remember hooking trees behind me. Um, all sorts of just, just uh, frustration and and failures, but. Um, but I also remember enticing the small bass and the panfish that lived in this pond by my house to hit my little floating poppers. And I just remember all the fun that I had doing that. So I wish I knew back then where and how to start, or at least I wish I had someone who knew how to fly fish to show me how. Um, so I mean, my guess is that the success rate for people that try to learn on their own is probably pretty low. I think that's partly because the fly fishing industry really hasn't done as good of a job as they could have to help new people with uh, the fly fishing journey. In high school, um, I stayed to those neighborhood ponds or fished with my family on trips. Um, I didn't really explore many waters on the fly myself. And, and I remember just after college, moving home from San Diego, I'd done a, a bit of fly fishing while in college, but um, but now home and with the driver's license, um, I had a lot of water to explore. Um, but I was having a hard time finding information about local waters, uh, so I went to a local fly shop. I went to the specialty shop that was, you know, it's probably 20 or 30 miles away, so drove down there. Um, and, and as soon as I walked in, I 
I felt quite intimidated uh, just walking around and seeing all this fly fishing gear that I didn't even know existed. Um, I was overwhelmed by all the different fly tying materials for people that make their own flies, all the types and colors. Uh, the guy working, I later found out, was the store manager. And he was busy hanging out with a customer. And apparently they were buddies or something because they were, they were chatting and yakking it up. Um, and they were talking about all sorts of stuff, but, but no, nothing really important. And I don't even think that they were talking about anything fly fishing related. Um, but I remember the customer actually uh, was the one who noticed me just kind of like wandering aimlessly around and finally just said bye to the manager and, and took off. Um, and so like after, after more than 20 minutes in the store, you know, my existence was finally acknowledged. Uh, and I explained to the manager that I recently moved back home from college and that fly fishing was my passion. I told him that I had been out fishing different spots and exploring, but I was, um, but I hadn't caught a single fish. I was just in a funk and, um, and I was getting a little discouraged. And so I asked him, I'm like, Hey, where, where are the fish? And he replied with, they're in the water. <laughs> and so, so, you know, embarrassed and, uh, and disappointed in the lack of assistance, I left. And I, I didn't even spend a dime. Um, and so these two experiences of how I began fly fishing at age 15 or so, and, and then essentially being brushed aside in a store when I was 22, they've been really formational for me. Uh, when I opened the Gig Harbor Fly Shop in 2009, one of my goals was to own and run a shop that was focused on helping and coaching new people get into the sport, as well as create an atmosphere that the least that was the least intimidating as possible. Um, and you know, I think on our best days we achieve that, and you know, we don't we don't always hit hit home runs or even hit base hits, you know. Um, but since we've started, we have taught literally thousands of people to fly fish through our Introduction to Fly Fishing class. Um, we've had over a thousand people take our on-the-water clinics for stream fishing, lake fishing, Puget Sound, beach fishing, winter steelhead fishing, spay casting, and more. Um, just all sorts of education opportunities. And so our, our goal has been to make fly fishing accessible for anyone who wants to try it. And uh, we even give away dozens of, of fishing spots uh, with maps on our website. We really want to help people get out there and enjoy it. And so if you're interested in learning how to fly fish, uh, I really would like to help you start off on the right foot and try to save you some of the frustration that I had when I was first starting out. Now, first, I want to mention that even though my first experience in a specialty fly shop was uh, not necessarily a positive one, um, that that was probably more common 20 or 30 years ago than it is today. Um, I, I think a lot of the fly shops today are pretty welcoming, especially ones that are in, um, in the ones that I know of in, in the Puget Sound area in Washington. Uh, we, have, we have some really good shops in our area. Uh, and a lot of the shops today are, are really welcoming to new anglers. Um, they're helpful with instruction, where to go, what to use, up-to-date fishing reports, uh, guide services, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so if you don't, so uh, I want to emphasize this and underline it. If you don't spend your hard-earned money with us, and we hope you do, please support a local fly shop first and perhaps exclusively. If you try out a shop and you don't vibe with it, 
um, you know, maybe give them a second try. And um, that shopping, uh, you know, we're back in Sacramento, back in home. Um, I ended up being being a loyal customer to that shop. And uh, and they, uh, the next time I went in there, they were a little bit more helpful. Um, so, you know, give them another shot. But, you know, if, if you don't vibe with it, try out a different shop. Um, you know, I know it's really easy to go online and just click away and, and buy stuff. And, um, but I think having a relationship with them is, uh, is really important. And in the long run, it will, it will help you be a better angler and a more successful angler. Um, and, 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 and so on the same topic, I want to give a, I want to give a warning, um, and I do it reluctantly. Uh, I only do it because I really want to help people learn how to fly fish. I want you to learn how to fly fish. This is what this podcast episode is all about. And it's what my whole business has been built on. Uh, but if I, And if I don't mention this, I feel like I'm kind of missing an opportunity to warn new anglers about a potential pitfall. So at, at our shop, we consistently assist customers that have gone to a big box store or online and, and we're sold the wrong thing. Um, or they just got like junky equipment that is more frustrating to use than it is actually helpful and effective. Um, so now, now before I get hate mail, I know once in a while you find someone helpful at the big box store. In fact, one of our guides also works at a box store part-time and he's, he's one of the most knowledgeable anglers I've ever met. Um, but those are definitely the exceptions. And so when I say that we consistently assist customers uh, that first shopped at a box store, I will stand. I will stand behind my my words of consistently. It is nearly weekly that we help customers that have been uh, steered wrong, and you know over a, d- a dozen years, I think that qualifies at as consistently. So I mean, and this is some of this is uh, some of this is pretty major stuff like fly lines. Uh, the amount of times that we've had to unspool a fly line off of a reel and turn it around because they go one particular direction. They're not level. They have a, they have a, a bump in thickness and weight to them uh, in the front. Um, we, the amount of times we've had to turn them around because they were put on backwards. Uh, I can't even, I don't even know how many times we've had to do that. And I don't even understand how that's even possible because they come on a spool one particular direction. Anyways, getting into the weeds a little bit, but this isn't a, cr- a criticism of, of like employees necessarily. Um, some of them are really great, like I like I have already mentioned. But I mean, I think it's just an honest critique critique of what chain stores offer, right? The box store carries everything, and so employees are usually have a general understanding and of a lot of different things. Usually, not a deep knowledge of fly fishing, um, and and fly fishing just makes up a very small percentage of general tackle fishing. So. Um, so yeah, why would they even know anything about it if they don't do it, if it only is 10% of, um, of fishing sales? So, um, it, you know, so the other thing too is that, you know, the like big box chains and stuff like that, they don't have classes, they don't have clinics, they don't have guides, they don't really have the specialty knowledge like where to go, when to go, what to use, how to use it, etc. cetera. Um, and so the specialty shop has that and so, um, so I know some people, uh, you know, will will shop at the specialty shop because because of the customer service, and they and I've heard them say, you know, well, I'm I'm fine with paying more because I, you know, it's worth it for the customer service, and the 
the irony is um, is that it doesn't actually cost more. The, the prices at the specialty shop are the same at the box store and online, etc. Um, the the fly fishing industry is it's really really small. Um, it's in fact it's about the same size as as the model train industry. <laughs> Did you even know there was such a thing, right? So <clears throat> it's not a lot of dollars, and and so there's actually quite a bit of control in the industry. And, um, and so a lot of the manufacturers make their dealers, uh, they don't make their dealers because that's illegal, but <laughs> they strongly encourage their dealers to hold to man manufacturer suggested retail pricing. Um, and so like the same, the price that you find at, you know, some big national chain is the same price that you'll find at, uh, the smallest little mom and pop, uh, fly shop. So, um, so you know, you're going to pay the same. So might as well go to the place where you're going to get all the additional benefits of great customer service and all of that specialty knowledge as well. Lastly, <clears throat> I just want to warn about online. So, I mean, there's a lot of specialty shops that are online and support them, give them your support for sure. But, you know, this, my warning goes for Amazon, uh, probably in particular, because we have a lot of people that take our intro classes and they show up with gear that they bought on Amazon and it's and especially the fly lines that are matched up on there it's it just creates a lot of of issues and so I know it seems like you're saving a buck but in the long run trust me um I know the convenience of Amazon is intoxicating I definitely know that but but Amazon will never uh tell you where to fish what flies been productive lately um and and honestly some of the stuff they're selling is is literally uncastable um, and I don't even think uncastable was a word until Amazon started selling fly fishing gear. So, <laughs> so okay, let's move on. Let's get you all set on the path of learning fly fishing and, um, and we'll get you all dialed in. So, I mean, what really is fly fishing? So simply fly fishing is, def is defined by how the lure is delivered. Fly fishing is a method of fishing by which an angler uses a flexible fly rod to propel a weighted fly line with a fly attached to a spot on the water or in the water where an angler thinks there may be a fish. And that's kind of the simplest explanation. Um, and a lot of times it does not need to be any tougher than that. Of course, like any other pursuit, it can become, it can become as complex and challenging as you want it to be. So what can you fly fish for? Well, everyone knows you can fly fish for trout. That's kind of what fly fishing is known for. But really, you can fish with a fly for any fish that feeds visibly. So, uh, to, to get extreme here, a sailfish in the Pacific Ocean runs down bait and sees it and hits it with its bill and, and munches it. You can catch that thing on a fly. And there's fly fishing tackle designed for big, huge fish that swim 55 miles an hour. Um, or you can go catch a yellowfin tuna on the fly. Go down to Baja or something like that. <clears throat> you can catch salmon. You can catch bass. You can catch, I mean, all sorts of stuff. So um, most fish feed visually. That like, you know, they have other senses that they use as well, especially along their lateral line where they can sense movement in the water. Um, they can definitely have a sense of, of, of uh, smell in the water, but a lot of fish, it's the visual stimulation that 
makes them feed. So, uh, so what kind of stuff can you not catch on a fly rod? Well, <clears throat> I, w- I normally say catfish, but our, our uh, sage fly rods rep was just telling me about how he caught five catfish on a trip down to Mexico bass fishing recently. And, um, and so I, you know, so I guess <laughs> depending on the type of catfish and the type of water, it's possible to catch those on the fly, uh, you know, s- stuff like, um, like sturgeon, uh, sturgeon are like these prehistoric dinosaur looking, uh, fish that are, they get huge, but they have, uh, they have like a, a vacuum on the, the, uh, underside of their head. Um, you know, their mouth is like d- down a little bit further it's not kind of on the snout because they feed on the bottom on dead and decaying things and, and fish and other stuff too, but it's a sense of smell that they use. Um, and I, I know one angler that's trying really, really hard to hook one of those on fly tackle, but without putting scent on the fly, it's really tough. And, um, and in my opinion, if it's, if you're using scent, then even if you're using fly fishing tackle, it's not it's not technically fly fishing, but we don't have to get all elitist and crazy about that. We can get into that kind of stuff later. So, uh, so when I, when I teach our 1.1 introduction to fly fishing class, I really love to get to know people's names, where they're from, why they're interested in fly fishing. And over the dozen years that I've taught this class, I've literally heard thousands of answers. And, and usually people are interested in fly fishing because a friend or a family member fly fishes. Sometimes it's because they watched a river runs through it and apparently were inspired by, you know, Brad Pitt casting in the middle of some Montana river. Um, but but often the student shares that um, that they started fishing with conventional tackle and they want to explore fly fishing. That it's kind of the next step for them. And so because so many people have experience fishing conventional tackle, I want to use that experience to explain fly fishing and why it's different. And um, I'm assuming you might have some conventional tackle experience as well. If not, just hang with me. Uh, we'll, we'll move on soon. So, uh, so how does fly fishing differ from conventional tackle? Well, in conventional tackle, whether it's with a spinning reel or a level wind, also called a baitcaster, um, the hook or the lure is propelled by, a, by some sort of weight um, that is the lure itself, or maybe weight above the line that brings brings the bait out there, and this weight pulls out a weightless line off the the reel. In fly fishing, the lure, so to speak, or the fly at the end of the line, is essentially weightless. For example, with trout flies, we fish a lot of uh, lures that look like insects because that's what trout eat. Not only do the not only are these lures small and nearly weightless because of the lightweight materials used to create the flies, like feathers, uh, they're really wind resistant too. So throwing them any considerable distance is impossible unless something takes them out there. It's impossible unless something else carries them to their destination. And that is the point of fly fishing and the fly cast. In fly fishing, we cast a weighted line made from PVC plastic most of the time. And that fly is just along for the ride. That line carries the fly out there. So this is completely the opposite from conventional tackle where the fishing line on the reel weighs very little and the lure is propelled in the cast out and pulls out the weightless line. So conventional tackle has a weighted lure that pulls out a weightless line. 
Fly fishing has a weightless lure that is pulled out by a weighted line. So it sounds like these two things aren't that big of differences, but in fact, they're huge. And this is the biggest differentiator between the two. So in conventional tackle, you if you need to cast further, you add more weight. Uh, in fly fishing, if you need to cast further, adding weight to the end actually works against you. So to cast further in fly fishing, you need to practice and refine your technique. Uh, there aren't really any shortcuts. And so uh, this makes it really difficult. And one of the things that I point out to our students in our classes is this is why the relationship between the rod and the line is the most important relationship in fishing in fly fishing tackle. The reel is not really that important compared to the rod and the line. Another manner in which fly fishing differs from conventional tackle is in the offering utilized to entice the fish to strike. So with conventional tackle, uh, anglers use uh, any means necessary to hook fish. That means for their lure, they might use an artificial lure. They might use live bait. They might use dead bait. Uh, on, the, on the other hand, fly fishing is solely about the art of deception. So with fly fishing, we're always trying to fool the fish into thinking our fake offering is the real deal. And these flies, they can be constructed of natural fur, feathers, or synthetic materials. And they're entirely artificial imitations of naturally occurring foods that fish eat most of the time. So the, for fly anglers, not only do we not use bait, but we don't use any scent either. It's all about the visual deception and tricking the fish into thinking the fake thing is in fact real. Now, there are some basic skills that a new angler uh, should focus on learning. And so here's a couple of these skills that I think you should learn as you start off on your fly fishing adventure. Uh, as, a, as an angler, you, you need to be able to cast the fly. And I think a general proficiency is being able to consistently cast about 40 feet. So many anglers, um, you know, they don't, I don't think they practice very often. Uh, as, as a guide, I can tell you many anglers need to. Um, you, you don't need to drop the fly into a Dixie cup at 40 feet, but you definitely need the fly to roll out to the desired area. Um, so one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give you for casting is to stop the rod high on both the back cast and the forward cast. As that line unrolls, the tighter the loop is, the more energy is in the cast. So when you pick up the line to make a back cast, start slow and then accelerate to an abrupt stop. How high do you stop the rod? Well, a lot of people say two o'clock, but it really depends on how much line you're casting. And there's other factors too, but, um, but assuming you're starting with a short amount of line, like 25 to 30 feet is a good place to start. Lift that rod up until about one or 130. I like to tell people lift it up to one because everyone goes back further than they think. And so, sometimes I'll even say stop at 12 o'clock because it ends up being about 130. Um, and so as that line unrolls over the tip of the rod, you need to pause for that line to unroll behind you. And then you start your forward cast, and this is before the line drops, 
So that line turns, and as it's turning over, you start your forward cast by starting really slow, accelerating to an abrupt stop at about 10 o'clock in front of you. If you drop the tip of the rod behind you, or in front of you, or both, you open up the loop of unrolling line, and it, it, it actually creates this large figure eight motion. And this type of cast is actually, honestly, it's, it's advantageous when you have multiple flies and split shot and a strike indicator, um, which is one particular way we'll present a fly, like in a river fishing situation, um, because it minimizes the tangles. But in most other casting situations, it creates a slow moving cast that diffuses the energy as the rod makes a big windshield wiper motion. So as you go to practice casting, uh, cast on like a big grassy lawn. Uh, maybe you go to a park or something like that or, or on the water if you wish. Don't practice on the driveway or the street. That hard surface can really damage the fly line. And fly lines are really expensive. Um, they, they are the, de the delivery system and you should take care of them. So for practicing, just tie on a piece of yarn on the end, um, to your tapered leader. There's no reason to waste a perfectly good fly and using a hook while learning, uh, and while on the grass just creates problems. Um, if you have more than one tapered leader, a lot of times they come in a two or three pack, designate one as the practice leader because you're going to beat that thing up and tie it in knots and all sorts of stuff. And it's better to do that to one leader and leave the good ones for fishing um, than end ending up with, you know, all sorts of leaders that are all, all halfway beat up, right? So, so in addition to the overhead cast, an angler should also learn the roll cast as well. And the roll cast is uh, quite simple, but needs to be practiced on the water, not on the lawn, because it utilizes the tension of the water's surface to make the cast. So to make the cast, you slowly lift the rod, like deathly slow, like really slow. The line will drape down slightly behind the rod. You then hammer the rod forward, stopping nice and high, and out the line goes and it rolls out. This is a very effective cast when you cannot make a back cast overhead um, behind you, like uh, in certain lake and stream situations where there's brush behind you. Another skill is the ability to mend the line. And mending the line doesn't mean that there's something wrong with it or broken. It means that uh, when we mend the line, it's to manipulate the line on the water to either add slack into the system, perhaps creating a dead drifted presentation or to eliminate slack for a tight line presentation. If you're fishing a dry fly or a nymph in a stream, for example, and if you don't have slack on the water, some extra line out, the fly will whip across the water and look unnatural. So by feeding some line out, the fly will drift drag free. And so you can do this by a couple different ways. Once the fly hits the water, you can use the rod tip to move the line and reposition uh, that back part of the line. You can also wiggle out extra line um, or by, you know, by moving the rod tip or by moving the rod tip, you can throw kind of throw out extra line. So there's a lot of different ways to do that. And there's probably some great YouTube videos that you can check out. Um, I don't think we have anything on our channel 
uh, about mending in particular. Maybe that's something we need to do. Um, but there's some good resources out there. Another skill that you that you really should practice is tying knots. There's hundreds of knots that you can learn. Um, but really, you just starting out, you only need three, maybe four. Um, I like to use the tapered leaders from Rio. These are like, you know, this is what the part of, of fly fishing that looks familiar to conventional tackle anglers. These monofilament leaders are tapered um, and it's they're made out of fishing material like monofilament. And the, from Rio, they come with a loop tied in the butt section. So you can do a loop to loop connection with uh, connecting the leader to the loop that's on the end of the fly line. This is great because then you don't have to tie a permanent knot that uh, requires you cutting the fly line because you never want to cut your fly line. Um, and But so sometimes you need to be able to tie that loop knot in the back of a leader or at other times. Um, so the knot for that that I, I mean, there's a lot of options that you can you can do here, but I recommend learning the perfection loop or the double surgeon's loop knot. If you struggle with knots, I I suggest just learning the double surgeon's loop since it will be similar to another knot that you will use. So speaking of that other knot you will use, the knot you use to attach tippet, which is extra level fishing line material to the end of the leader is a double surgeon's knot. So slightly different than the double surgeon's loop knot because you're attaching two pieces together, not just forming a loop in one place. So you then need to attach the fly to your fishing line. And there's a lot of different knots you can do here, but I generally use an improved clinch knot um, I'll also tie a close variant that creates a loop so the fly can swivel and have some movement. Um, these, all these knots are highlighted on our YouTube channel. Check those out. We'll put them in the links uh, in the description below. Um, but I re recommend you check these out and, and practice them at home. It's harder to do on the river than it is at home. So practice, practice, practice. Okay, starting off, the beginner fly angler is going to need some gear to go fishing unless they plan on just booking guide trips every day. But I, I recommend you buy some, some gear and own some gear, and that, that allows you the ability to uh, do some practice as well. So you're going to need some terminal tackle, like you're going to need a fly rod, a reel, a fly line, and backing. Backing is a braided material that we put on the reel first and then the fly line. The backing is fairly thin diameter, and there might be a hundred yards or more of backing on a reel. A fly line is only 90 to hundred feet long. So this backing ends up being your insurance policy when you hook a really big fish. Um, it fills up the reel so that uh, your retrieval rate when you're reeling in is faster, which really matters with fly fishing because the reels are single action. There's no nothing spinning around that helps wrap line on if you know, more effectively or efficiently. Um, so you'll need that stuff on the, the reel. And this is where specialty shops really come uh, come in handy is because they have line winders. 
and um, you don't want to own your own line winder because they're a thousand dollars so have a shop spool on that that stuff for you um, it's okay for you to put on your own fly line that's not impossible to do but um, but but putting on all the backing if it's not put on with the right amount of tension uh, that can create some problems and so like I mentioned earlier the relationship between the rod and the line are the most important. I mean, even I even make, make the joke sometimes to people about about reels about how you could just take a rock, duct tape it onto the bottom of the of the rod to uh, balance out the 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 setup, and then just wrap the line around it. Uh, I mean, a lot of times we're just holding the line and making our casts, um, and the the reel only stores the line. Now, when we get into big game and fish that really fight hard, then Having a, a reel that has a good drag system and all that kind of stuff, really, that really uh, makes a big difference. But starting off, you're probably going to be just trout fishing or maybe, you know, sea run cutthroat in Puget Sound saltwater or something like that. So, um, you know, fishing for smaller fish that uh, doesn't require a, a heavy duty drag system. Now, fly rods are classified by a weight system. And you'll hear people talk about a five weight, six weight, eight weight, etc that the when we say a five weight we don't mean that the rod weighs five anything it means that that rod was designed to cast a five weight line we can talk about what a five weight line is and how many grains it weighs at 30 something feet or whatever but you know we don't really need to get into that the industry makes it easy by having a matrix of of weights of line that they classify as one weight, two weight, three weight on up. And so the rods are designed around casting those lines. Now a nine foot five weight rod, that is the most common selling configuration in the world. And that is your bread and butter, uh, general purpose trout fishing rod. And that's why, that's why there's so many of those sold for us. In Puget Sound, because we fish from the beach often, uh, and the flies are slightly larger, we also have, uh, it's big water, uh, sometimes it's windy, you're, you're always casting quite far, um, and th there's the chance too that uh, salmon might grab a hold of, uh, of your cutthroat fly. We end up fishing six weights quite often, and a lot of times a nine and a half foot six weight. Uh, and so you'll also hear people talk about the action of a rod, and the action of the rod is kind of like how the rod flexes and where it flexes. So if a rod is, you know, if someone says it's a fast action rod, that means that it's going to be pretty stiff in the butt section of the rod. And the, the only flex is going to be more in the tip. So just since the tip of the rod flexes, that line is going to, it's going to actually move at a little bit of a quicker cadence. And it's going to be great for punching line through into the wind. It's going to be great for distance, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. Rods that have a deeper bend have a slower cadence. They deliver to the fly a little bit more slowly. And, um, and a lot of anglers that fish for trout prefer rods that have a little bit more bend in them and like to fish like a medium, medium fast action rod. So Medium fast is in between a medium and a fast. And so that, that seems to be a good do-it-all sort of uh, rod. Some, angli some anglers 
some anglers get quite specialized with their tackle and they might have uh, their nine foot five weight rod for some general purpose trout fishing, but then they might get down the road a like a four weight, so a slightly lighter weight rod uh, that has a lighter line and they might get that rod in a in a different length like maybe eight and a half feet or eight eight or eight four something like that or even an eight footer uh that shorter rod will be slightly more accurate and and the angler is probably getting that rod specifically to fish dry flies usually the dry flies aren't very big the four weight casts those smaller flies uh, with delicate precision so there are a lot of kits available with um with uh, fly rod and reel combos and um, the kits from Reddington I really like because uh, because they're owned by Farbank and Farbank is the parent company for Sage fly rods which are made on Bainbridge Island Reddington uh, which are they're made overseas but they import them into, into Bainbridge and then Rio which is made in Idaho and so those Reddington combos the fly line that comes on them is actually a quality uh, fly line. It's not a high-end one, but it's a decent line. And it casts well, and that fly line and rod relationship is like the critical, most important uh, aspect of the gear. And so Reddington has some great combos that start at like 200 bucks. Uh, there's a one we sell that's uh, 2.99. We sell a ton of um, those can be really good. A lot of anglers too will uh, have the specialty shop put together a combo for them. So they will select their own rod, match it up with the appropriate line for what they want to do, and then match it up with a reel that balances it. And, um, and that's, that's what I recommend. Um, especially if you, um, you know, if you're on a really tight budget, then the, the combo is a great combo kit that's already pre-assembled is a great way to go. But, um, but if you think fly fishing is going to be your thing, um, I mean, these rods usually have a lifetime warranty on them. So if you break it, you can send it in, they'll fix it for you. And we have so many customers that have, uh, that they've been fishing the same rod for like 30 years. And they, I mean, they, they've gotten so much bang for their buck out of those things. And so, um, so investing in a, in a quality fly rod, I think is really important. Um, you'll really appreciate it down the road. And so when you think about what your budget is going to be for your starting gear, um, try to try to slice slice some of the budget money off the reel or off the waders or something like that and put it into the rod. Having that quality rod is just so important. In addition to the rod, reel, and line, you're going to need um, leaders and tippet. And these are the sections of monofilament line that are attached to the weighted fly line that aid in the presentation of the fly. So most leaders are tapered from a thicker butt section down to a thinner tippet section. And then you can also purchase additional tippet material to add to a tapered leader when the tippet section on the existing leader has become damaged or lost or when you need to extend it for maybe you need it to be a little bit more of a stealthy presentation. Other gear you need, you might need waders and, and boots uh, that go over the waders. Um, sunglasses for eye protection and for the polarization to be able to see uh, structure in the water or see even see the fish, etc. Uh, in our cold water climate that we have here in in Washington, an angler 
uh, will want a pair of waders and boots to keep warm and dry. But uh, anglers, you know, that fish warm water um, at warm weather uh, locations, that's not going to be as important of a uh, as of uh, an issue. An angler should all always wear a pair of sunglasses, um, even in you know. So today I was out guiding for steelhead uh, in, on the Olympic Peninsula for in its winter time, and the weather was horrible. It was raining. And I was wearing sunglasses uh, almost the whole time, but the glasses I have uh, from Smith are called a low light igniter and the lens is like yellow and it kind of brightens things up and it's and and I was wearing those so I could see the rocks in the water so that I had eye protection on because the last thing you want is to be uh, out in the woods and get a hook in your eye. Um, and so I have different, different glasses for uh, kind of some of those different conditions. Other gear you'll need are some flies. You're going to need flies for different uh, different hatches of bugs or different types of bait fish if you're fishing in Puget Sound or there's there's a this is a huge category. Um, but you, you'll need flies to to go fish and then and then you need something to kind of just throw all your gear in. So a lot of times um, you know you've probably seen people wearing like a fishing vest. I think more these days people wear like a, a pack that is either a sling pack, a backpack, a chest pack, or kind of a hip pack. Um, th- those seem to be more popular than vests. But that's that's kind of it. You know, that's that's kind of like the core stuff to get you started. Um, I mean, check out our YouTube channel. We have a lot of great information on there. Uh, you know, make sure you subscribe and check out what we have. Uh, just you know, go ahead and search Gig Harbor Fly Shop on YouTube. You know, learning where to go, what to use, how to use it, all that kind of stuff, it can be pretty tough in the beginning or if you're new to the area or, um, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And so I, I really recommend joining our Fly of the Month Club. Uh, it's $25 a month and we mail you flies every month to use that next month. You can choose a freshwater trout subscription or a Puget Sound saltwater subscription. If you do both, there's a discount. Uh, in, in addition to the flies, we, uh, we send you an email that has uh, information all about the flies, all about what they imitate, how to use them, where to go. Um, you know, just, we share all the dirt. Um, you know, the flies, they're consumables. You know, you'll lose flies when you're fishing uh, or you'll wear them out when the fishing is just really good. So you will, you will end up needing flies. And so this is a great way to, to build an inventory of flies for uh, for upcoming fishing opportunities. Um, and, and if, and if you do the subscription throughout the whole year, it also encourages you, um, you know, to get out even in those winter months, um, you know, with a good rain jacket, there's still a lot of great fishing, uh, to be had. If you're not in the area, uh, if you're not in Western Washington, uh, you'll still benefit from our freshwater flies email and how to fish them. Uh, it's just the locations that, that might not be as quite as relevant. So to sign up, visit our website, gigharborflyshop.com, and you can change or pause your subscription at any time. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of the Gig Harbor Flycast. We plan to bring you more episodes to help you learn and grow as an angler. And I only listen to podcasts that I subscribe to, and subscribing is free, so please subscribe so you get all the new stuff we have coming out. Thanks.